are listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and joining me for this episode is Ryan Chiriboga, or you might see Ryan C on some of the discords. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, man, how are you? It's it's uh, good to finally talk to you yeah, on the pod. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> record again. Honestly, every time one of the one of the buddies from War Machine and stuff hops over to uh, MCP, I'm like, how quickly can I drag this person onto a podcast? Um, but, and I will um, say it's been it's been so nice to have a good miniatures game back in my life again. Oh, <laughs> um, I, you know, we we all went through that drought for a while, and uh, when it's when it clicks, it clicks, right? So it's been a lot of fun. It's an itch that not like once you've once you've had the miniature game experience, nothing else quite scratches the same itch, right? Yeah, it, it's it's. What I've always described, as I described to like a significant other or something, <clears throat> it's the game, it's the mechanics, right? Where you think about the theory turn zero stuff when you're not playing. It's the painting and it's the lore and everything comes together and everything feeds on each other. Um, you know, I play a game on the table. It makes me want to paint it. I paint a model. It makes me want to play it. I read about something. It makes me want to play it. And so it's, 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 it's a really cool spot. Yeah, I've certainly had spots like when I started getting into Midnight Suns for a bit, I actually wanted to find comics because I'd never read any comics about the Midnight Suns and like what they did. And so, yeah, there definitely is that that kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but it's just like one thing leads to the next thing. Um and you're absolutely right. You know, you'll just be, you, you'll be playing stuff or you, you like, sometimes I'm just like trying to get all my models painted and I paint something. I'm really happy with it. And then I'm like, I need to find an excuse to play this model, which then might in turn make me want to read something about the model. You know, it happens in all sorts of different orders, but you're, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah. A lot of fun. So listeners, uh, I'm going to give you gentlemen and ladies and, and whatever you go by a uh, a little background into Ryan real quick. And I'm going to make it kind of short so that uh, I'm not overly embellishing, but um, Ryan was an extremely successful war machine player back when I played, you know, kind of 2014, 2015 era was probably in conversation for one of the best players in the world. Um, won the world team championship. I think you win LVO multiple times. I won LVO uh, the first two times. Yes. Um, did I lose at the finals table the third year? No, no, no. I lost in the top four. But yeah, the first two years. You you were very successful. And then on top of all of that, I would say you had a very strong reputation for being a very clear, very concise player. I don't know of any instance where there was ever um, – any of your behavior was ever in dispute and you were just generally known as like a really nice person in the community. And I will vouch for that and say, I mean, my trip to Poland was made a whole lot easier by you taking care of all of us. <laughs> well, those are nice compliments. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was always the, um, I was like the team mom. I always felt yeah. like when we were going overseas, I was the one that look, I'm a little bit anal. And, uh, and I just want to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch. And so I was happy to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were happy that you were in charge. So like, yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to do what Ryan tells me to do. And then I will, I will be where I need to be. Yep. Yep. That was perfect. It was, yeah. And it worked out, it worked out well. But anyway, I was just so happy when you messaged me and you're like, Hey man, 
I've been playing MCP and I'm getting really into it. And I've already purchased my ticket to LVO. And I was like, this is in my head. I was like, not only is this a friend of mine that I just love talking to more and to have an opportunity to talk more MCP with you was immediately like just a gem. But then I realized it's also just, here's another great player. Who's just like, a great member of the community and a clean player. And it's just going to be so nice. Like anytime you have players like that, that's just like perfect. That's the kind of person who raises and makes everybody rise to their level or vice versa. Um, And so I thought it'd be fun to finally get you on a podcast and kind of talk a bit about your journey. Cause um, I'm very happy you joined the MCP community, even if it's for my own selfish purposes of getting (laughs) to see you more. I definitely try to be a good person in the community that, you know, fosters that competitive spirit, but fair play at the same time. Um, and that was always one of the goals in War Machine. And uh, I think that is a trait that has followed over to MCP. Um, and it definitely adds to a lot of my enthusiasm for the game is the quality of the player base that I've met so far. For sure. And we all like we all exist on slightly different levels. Like uh, I've been slowly teaching my partner to play more and more. And she had recently commented how when she's playing against me, she's like, you were always so extremely precise with your movement. Occasionally I'll play other people that are a little bit sloppier with it. And, you know, just kind of like everybody's on a slightly different level with that kind of stuff and how, how much you, you want to be precise. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's just good habits to develop. And I think the longer that you've been in the community and the more that you've like been in those like high pressure situations and then someone's, not playing cleanly or you accidentally mess something up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that comes with time, right? You play enough games, you get used to it. You play enough high level games and you just get used to it. It kind of just goes into the way you play the game. Um, I went to my very first MCP event, right? Uh, it, it was here in Dallas. That's the one you flew out for. And uh, I brought a laser line with me and I've not seen anybody else in MCP yet use a laser line, but I use it because it's a very quick and easy check for line of sight. Sometimes you're trying to, you know, see if you corner a building or not. And then the other side of it is sometimes you have like a push or a throw through really tight corridors and it helps line that up. And so I even had the, the TO borrowed my laser twice <laughs> during the <laughs> event um, just to be, you know, extra careful with everything. Well, I can tell you the reason why I don't is I had brought this up in the very beginning days with Pagani. And I was like, I feel like I would still use a laser sight for checking LOS. And he was like, I view that as another measurement tool. So that is not allowed. Uh, oh. I don't know if that view has changed. But at first, I kind of argued with him about it where I was like, eh, you know, and really, obviously, some of the mindset was like from War Machine, when we all wrap things up, there were so many tools that you would bring to the table. You had a different measurement stick for like every inch, all sorts of different. It was just an insane amount of tools. And it is a better game when you don't have to have this massive amount of stuff to like get the measuring correct. So I fully support them on that, but I thought that laser pointer would still, but honestly it's like, in all of the games that I've played, I've maybe had one situation where I truly felt that maybe a laser pointer was necessary. Um, yeah. But because that was his view, I've just, I've kind of gone that direction, but that was a long time ago. Now that was like a conversation like two years ago. So I don't know if that's, if there's ever been like an official forum post about laser pointers or not. Cause that, as I consider it, I guess I've never walked a model around a building like where I've held the laser line at the same time that dictates my movement. It's more of a I'm starting my activation. Can I see this guy? And I and I 
check. Uh, but maybe maybe I need to talk to you and Tyson about that more for LDO. <laughs> yeah, it's something that because it hasn't like it's honestly most of the time it's pr- like I feel like you can tell without a laser. Um, I did have a really weird situation come up a couple weeks back where technically I had broken the terrain placement rules on a table. And obviously it it says that you should keep terrain more than range two apart from everything, which is something I always do. But I think it also says you're supposed to keep it range two away from the edge of the table. Mm-hmm. And that's not a rule that I, like I strictly adhere to. Um, and sometimes I'll put like a big building, like right on the edge of a table, but for whatever reason, I had this size four piece of terrain on the table and it was only maybe an inch away from the edge. Um, but it was, it was at this like where no one could stand behind it. And so I didn't really, I didn't think that it would matter, but what ended up happening is I had this situation where bullseye, because the tool fit along that he used the media move to go behind the building. And then <laughs> I was trying to get him back to the other side. And it's very awkward because I, I placed on the side of the template, but now trying to go the other direction, I can't go through the train because I have to go right next to the base. And so I had this weird question where I was like, Nicoltar, like, can the movement template be off the table? Like, can the, if I'm bending it, can the like joint of it go off the table for me figuring out where I'm going to end? Um, And it didn't really matter that much in that exact situation, but there's still some weird stuff that we haven't fully, fully covered. And I think the end resolution was that, if you're doing that situation, your your template can go off the table, but the placement of the character has to be entirely within the table. Um, but you know, just some weird stuff that doesn't come up very often. But I always just type slash stuck or unstuck and uh, you know, try to work <laughs> it out that way. Uh, anyway, um, but uh, we're gonna so listeners, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about ryan's journey and hopefully this helps other players who are getting into the game and you never know we all discover slightly different things and maybe there's some stuff that i haven't articulated well enough in the podcast that ryan will help cover because maybe it's a little thing that i skipped over um but i just kind of wanted to see where it would go and so ryan kind of my first question for you is how did you after taking the war machine break i know you you played some was it age of sigmar or 40k that you played for a bit I played a little both. It's one of those where those are the games with very pretty models with very deep lore. And I just could never get behind the gameplay. Um, So I had, I had multiple components of the equation, but I just, I couldn't get there. um, Didn't quite have all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So how did you get the, the jump into MCP? We had a, we had a lot of guys locally kind of start playing it, you know, obviously over COVID and uh, a a friend of mine had introduced, I've got a pretty good gaming group here in Dallas and we'll play a lot of different stuff. So some of the guys got started and then uh, I had been playing a lot of commander. um, And then, you know, eventually we had kind of a critical mass of guys locally and the game had matured. And, and so I had a friend run me through a demo and he asked what character I liked the most. And so I told him Thor. And, uh, man, I played one game with Thor and I was hooked. I was hooked. <laughs> I, 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 I swear it was probably turn two, turn three, right? I charged something. I rolled my strike. I hit the wild. I threw a model into another model. I had enough power that I picked up a building and I threw it into somebody else or a car or something. Right. And then I still had an action left. And so I threw my hammer at the guy I had just thrown the car at. And, and I was just like, 
that was also clean. It was also easy. It was precise. It was, it was so flavorful and fun. I, I, I was hooked. It is interesting how something that War Machine always kind of struggled to do was how rare you would throw something, right? And you had to throw characters. You couldn't throw terrain. For the most part, terrain was very rarely destroyed. And just how easy it is in MCP and how clean and smooth it is and how much it is actively relevant in the game all the time. And it just doesn't feel like you're sacrificing damage to do these effects. Like it was, it was worked into the game very smoothly. And yeah, I think if you demo the game, you're like, you got to let people throw stuff. Well, and so it turned out playing Asgard was kind of the perfect intro, right? Cause I did get to throw a lot of stuff and I got extra power to play with and you got some fun characters and, and yeah, no, the um, um, atomic mass has done such a great job designing this game. Um, so I went from, <laughs> I played my demo game. And then I, I ran out to the store and, and it, now Pagani and I were friends when we played War Machine, you know, we were teammates on WTC and he was in Houston, I was in Dallas. And so we saw each other frequently and stuff like that. So I, I sent him a text message when I bought models, um, you know, something like that. So it's begun. And I sent him a text <laughs> and, you know, he said, well, have fun with it. I hope you enjoy it. And then, uh, I, you know, I've told him since that, that he designed a really great game at, you know, he and others have obviously designed a, a really great game. And so it was, it was even fun to have that tie in. Cause I had, I had obviously, you noted that we stopped war machine in like 2016, 2017, whatever. And obviously we'll kept going on with PP and then move over to atomic bass and he and I have kept in touch. And so it's, it's really fun to actually like have a friend that, that now has their own game that is this incredible and to be playing in their sandbox um, is, is a lot of fun. Wasn't was Pagani your team leader when you guys won WTC? Yeah, yeah, he was our captain for that. Okay, I was thinking about that the other day because it had come up because I realized that um, multiple of the Australians, uh, Ben and Aaron, had joined my had supported me on Patreon and joined my Discord, but didn't tell me. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't realize it until all of a sudden I connected the username with the name and realized that they were both in there. Um, and so we were just kind of talking about WTC and cause, um, I don't forget, did you, in 2014, did you guys play against the Australian WTC team? I don't think so. Okay. They yeah. were our last round game when you guys were playing against Poland. Cause Poland had just beaten us in the semifinals. Yeah. We, we played the, what was supposed to be their B team, I think in maybe the fifth round. Now that I'm Wait, thinking about no, it. No, I think you did play them because I think it was both of the U.S. teams, the Australian team and the Poland team was top four. And I right. think you guys beat the Australian team and we like lost to the Poland team. And then we ended up playing the Australian team in the, the sixth round and you guys played Poland for first. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, OK, so we both play them. But anyway, Ben and Aaron are both playing. Um and that was their Legion player and their rep player. Um, okay. And uh, it was funny because Craig is also playing, who was my team leader yep. at WTC that year. And so he played against Ben and I played against Aaron. And Craig and I have been talking constantly about this. So it's been, it's been fun to connect with uh, Craig's one of those also where he and I have stayed friends and stayed in contact. And so it's, it's good to chit chat with all the old guys. Yep, he's uh he plays in Hyper Vipers meta and he's been on one episode so far, but Craig is just uh just a lovely dude. Yes. Likes murdering people with convocation. Uh um, but it's still lovely. 
Yes, <laughs> it's still lovely. Um, so Ryan, so you you try the game. You 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 it it's it's checking all of the boxes, right? It's got pretty models that you want to paint. It's got gameplay that you like. It's got lore that you enjoy. And then to top it all off, we have a friend who's heavily involved in the making of the game. And so literally every time we purchase, we are literally supporting friends of ours. Yeah. And so all all boxes are checked. Um, so what was your next step from there? You've realized that you're getting into it. What did you do next? Um, so I had started, you know, COVID had kind of been wrapping up. Uh, I started playing in April of this year, maybe March. Um, and, you know, people were starting to travel a lot more. I was looking at commander events and I was like, man, I want to go fly somewhere and, and play cards. Because one of the, not one of, the ultimate experience that I had in miniatures in War Machine was going to conventions, right? It was seeing you and others five times a year, right? <laughs> yes. And we built these very curious but fantastic friendships going around, seeing each other on these occasions, you know? And and the cons were about the games, but it was also about getting dinner after the game and uh, and then staying up late at the hotel and all that stuff, right? And so I wanted to get out and start traveling again. Um, and so with MCP finding kind of a tight rule set and everything and, and being at a place where I could commit a little bit of time, um, I'm not committing that much time, but I thought, you know what, competitive or not, I want to give this a go. I want to start traveling again. And so with that, really, I started just chewing on information, right? I want to play as many games as I can. I want to, I want to listen to podcasts. I want to read articles. I want to talk to people, you know, hence reaching out to you and everything. And so, you know, I, I, I tried to absorb the community a little bit right away. Um, and, and I went in eyes wide open saying, I want to travel for this game. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, it's been something that I've missed. I was telling some locals after a local qualifier, recently i was like you know i think the thing that i miss the absolute most is just everybody going out for beers after a tournament yep and talking about the games and just that that experience and the kind of stuff that you realize and the one like oh man you know if i had been playing this in my roster or you know i realized that you know here is the mistake in my game and those kind of discussions those realizations it um it brings me back to like an article that i was reading about uh a chess star and what their life was like when they were at the top of chess. And it was literally just like, go like play chess all day and then go out drinking with everyone playing chess, get up and do like <laughs> chess classes. And there was just rinse, repeat like all the time. Yeah. And um, it, but it really hit home how much talking about the game and interacting with other players and talking through those situations and examining other people's games, like how that's a part of it and part of the experience. Um, yeah. It just all, it all clicks. And one and thing I'm... that um, has really hit me with MCP is that war machine kind of became a good old boys club at a certain point. And I feel like I was in like the last rung of, rookies actually maybe you you and i were both where we both kind of came in and got accepted by the good old boys club and then uh -huh. kind of wasn't that long after us it was kind of like no more allowed this club is closed <laughs> and i felt like it was very hard for people to break into that club and part of my goal with the podcast is you know i just recorded with lucas who got um second in the league and 
try to take every opportunity with to record with various players and stuff. And really maybe it's cause I'm getting older, but it's like, let's make sure that we don't gatekeep and we make sure that people feel welcome and get to come out to conventions and encourage people like Dizzard from rogue agents just got to have his first convention experience. I didn't even mm-hmm. realize cause he played war machine, but he didn't quite get to that traveling point. And I want that experience kind of for everyone. It's, it's something special being able to go out to a convention and, um, I think Danger Room mentioned this recently, and it was going somewhere and flying to a convention can seem like a lot, but there's something very special about going somewhere and not just being accepted for what you like, but literally being celebrated for what you like. The thing that in other circles, maybe you don't even want to tell your coworkers what you do with your spare time, but you can go out to this convention and everybody is excited to talk to you about the roster that you're working on and talk about your games and see your models. And it's like, everything is everything that in some cases, the rest of the world doesn't give a shit about. You can go to a place where you're literally celebrated for just being you. And that's something very special. Yeah, I'm a pretty social person, so it comes easy to me. But I, I will say I have always leaned on games um, my entire, I was going to say adult life, but even back when I was a kid, because um, I played Magic in junior high. I played uh, 40K a little bit in high school. I mean, I still did other stuff. But um, And then once I finished grad school, I, I, I had moved to a new area, um, and I, I didn't have any friends. And, uh, and I, I worked in a small office, and I thought, okay, well, um, you know, I played some of these games when I was a kid, so let me go find that again. And with that, be it California, Phoenix, Dallas, whatever, I have had a robust group of friends no matter where I've been be- because of games. And going to a convention is is a, a similar experience. You might, even if you don't have anybody in your, buddy in your community that, that is traveling with you, if, if you just hop on a plane and get out there and you go to one of these bigger cons – you'll meet people because you immediately have a shared interest with 40 to 60 other people that are all there doing the same thing. Um, and they're all passionate about it, right? 200 tickets for LVO sold. So it might be around 200 people yeah. that you share, share an interest <laughs> with. It's, um, you and I were talking about it in discord a little bit where we were playing war machine in its prime when it was the most popular, when there was the most people playing the largest tournaments and MCP hasn't even hit its prime yet. (laughs) Like it's still going up and we're only going to see more people showing up at conventions and larger and larger events. And I'm so excited for it. Yeah. And that's, that's part of why I'm trying to be encouraging on a lot of this stuff here is, is get out to an event. There's so much fun. I mean, really it's, it's the best time you're going to have. Um, and it's, it's, it's easy to meet new people. It's easy to make friends, right? Like somebody like you and the other podcasters, you'll recognize names, go say hi. Everybody's super friendly. It, it, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. 100%. And I, I kind of want to do a pure episode at some point, just talking about the convention experience and helping people get over that hump to finally go to something. Cause I had played uh, Star Wars minis by Wizards of the Coast beforehand, but I never quite made that plunge. I was playing hyper competitively, two tournaments a week. It was crazy. I played that game more than I played War Machine. It was an insane amount, but I just never quite made the jump because it was just Gen Con and it just seemed so expensive and mm-hmm. um, and it was hard to hard to make that leap. And I remember when I finally did in War Machine, I went to Temple Con 
which is a crazy convention to begin with, but it was such a unique experience. It, it was like life changing. And now I'm so excited to do more, to do more conventions and LVO 2023 sneaking up. Like, God, it's only like four months away. Yeah. We'll be here before we know it. It, yeah. And I get that ticket prices are a little crazy on airlines. Right. So, so, you know, do what you can, but, um, yeah. you know, make the, make the, the, the two, three, four, five hour drive to an event that's in your area. Um, the fact that you guys have the qualifier system set up is fantastic. It's, it's great to get out to those. There's uh, been multiple stores in my area alone that haven't run a normal tournament, but have run qualifiers. Oh, really? <laughs> And so I think it's also helped to jumpstart some stores and show the interest for it and should lead to more monthly events for stores is what it seems like. And there was a bunch like when we did the qualifier at Bellevue Mocks, there was a bunch of people in my area literally lived in the same city as me that I knew from War Machine that I did not know were playing MCP. And then out they came. And they were came out for the, the the qualifier, and I was blown away. I was like, "Oh man, you guys are playing! Uh, you guys are playing MCP. That's awesome." Um, but okay, well let's let's get away from the convention experience for a moment. Um, so you you decide that you want to dive into it some more, and you want to go to some conventions, and you've started to absorb some information. What would you say are some of the first key realizations for you about MCP as you're kind of like starting your competitive journey? Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of jotted down some notes here. You know, this is a, it's a miniatures game, right? And I jumped in and I thought, all right, I was good at War Machine. It, it, it suited me and, and I played at a high level. And so I can do that in MCP, right? And then you realize very quickly that it's it's a different game, right? And different skills are required and the mechanics are different. And and those are all fantastic things. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve as you get going. Um, I would say one of my first kind of aha moments was you realize that power exists in the game, right? You take damage, you gain power. You do damage, you gain power if it's a builder. And when your character flips and they've got like eight power on them or something, they go crazy. Right. And you learn about this yo-yo effect and a power imbalance and how much it, it means. And the aha moment for me, there was that a builder is power neutral. Uh, you gain power equal to the damage dealt and they gain power equal to the damage dealt. And as opposed to a spender. So if you do three damage, they're going to get three and you spent three. So that's minus six. Um, and, and I just thought, I thought about that for a while as I approached games and thought about stuff and thought about interactions is, is just how much that power gap moves between a builder and a spender. For sure. And, um, I know you and I had a recent conversation where Ronan is still, in my opinion, like the best character that sees very, very little play. And I remember playing a game with right shortly after, um, Daredevil came out for criminals and I decided I wanted to try splashing Ronan in there because I was playing around with a bunch of different fours. And in this particular game, I think it was, uh, oh, it was Intrusion. So it was 19. It was Daredevil, Killmonger, Craven, And then I had Rogue and Ronan. And there's this round where between his characters coming into me, getting judged, and then Ro- and Rogue also sapping power. Mm. And we were going into the start of like round three. And he realized, he's like, I have like no power on my, two of my characters were days last round. Yep. And I have, 
and all of his characters are at like one power. And it is hard to describe how good particular characters are when a builder is not just power neutral, <laughs> when it's power positive. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I literally dazed your character and I don't even have to worry about killing you right away. I can let you activate because you're still, it's like a beginning of the game for you. You're just dazed. Yep. And, um, and mind you, that's not a situation that you can orchestrate all the time. And judgment is a character that is a thing that I think a lot of people haven't played around. Cause it's literally just Ronin and Scarlet witch. I don't think any, uh, maybe there's one other way. No, I think it's just well, those two. I've been playing a lot of ghost rider and his spender says, when you do damage, they lose power instead of gaining. And so the amount of times that I walk up to a character that has five power on them, do five damage, daze them, right? Because I'm throwing 10 dice. Yeah. And then they just flip over with zero. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. And um, I think it's, it's sometimes it's hard to recognize that because it's not something that you were – it's the same thing where like playing Loki doesn't always feel as good for you as the player – as it does negative for your opponent who has to deal with it all the times they realize they can't do their plan because it costs them extra power. And the same thing that applies, it's, it can be hard sometimes for you as the player penalizing your opponent to realize how much judgment or something can hurt someone or just having Hulkbuster, um, you know, the, 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 the spenders that don't generate power and you're just like meteor punch, meteor punch. I gave you no, bonus power to use for your defensive stuff and you just took eight damage from two attacks and got no power out of it and yeah th- this is kind of a curious spot where it's it's easier to see all the differences when you're on the receiving end right um yes. it, it, when when you play against a loki and you're like i could nope i can't do that i could no <laughs> i can't do that either and then you see the power in it and then you and it's just happening watch. in your head right you're just thinking yep. that stuff you're like yep. well, okay i have this plan oh wait no that doesn't work because if i do that superpower then i don't have the ability to pick up this extract so that plan just doesn't work but your opponent doesn't hear that because that was internal monologue or heaven forbid you go halfway through a plan and you're like okay i'm gonna throw this character and your opponent goes your throw costs three not two and you're like oh no right and then <laughs> oh you're, and then you're stuck <laughs> then, then it really rings true um, oh yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, I do think that's really critically important is essentially just managing power is very critical. And I see people all the time, well, they'll rush into spenders, they'll spend their whole stack and they'll get the days, but then they can't pick up the extract because they spent all their power on the spender or, you know, all sorts of different situations or like you do that and then you can't interact with a flip secure or, you know, you suddenly you're not going to be able to KO that character right away. And now you fully loaded rogue who just goes to town with all the power. And, mm-hmm. yep. um, and I was just, um, uh, we have a player in my area, Adam, who was very good at war machine and is now, I think he's in his first like 15 or so games of MCP, but, uh, Magneto like killed one of my characters and then he decides to walk forward and throw something at Voodoo. And I'm like, well, you just gave Voodoo literally the power he needs to walk up and possess that other character. You could have done nothing and you would have been a, in a stronger position. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that didn't happen so much with War Machine. There was very little penalty for killing characters. Uh, that, that realization that you just stated, I'm still not there. I know it exists like the idea of a move, move um, action. Um, 
I, I realize that that exists. I just, I have not played enough games to figure out how do I move, move and gain an advantage on scenario and not actually interact with my opponent and have that be the better outcome. I, I, I need to play more games for it. I know it's out there. Um, that's, oof, that's a big one. I mean, that's, that's like one of the major, major, major keys to MCP. Yeah, it was actually LVO 2020 where there was still only like 20 of us playing or something. But there was this game and I was playing a lot of Wakanda at the time and Venom had just come out. And there was this moment where I've got this Venom who's like loaded on power. He had like seven power or something, but Hulk was on a point and I'm like, I can't throw Hulk. Should I just beat up on Hulk? And then all of a sudden it all clicked. And I was like, all right, we're going to... Uh, web snare Hulk off this point, and then I'm going to move, and I'm going to throw this other character off this point, and then I'm going to advance, and then I'm going to score this point over here, and I'm going to win the game. Mm-hmm. And it felt so weird at first to be like, I have Venom. He's a great damage dealer. Am I really going to not make any attacks with him? But yep. yeah, I displaced two different characters. I just swung the score by like three or four points. Yeah, roll and, zero dice, win the game. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's still something that can be easy to miss. I will still catch moments where I see red and uh, don't go for the the movement, the finesse plays. Um, kind of to yeah. your point there, the, the the like second aha moment I had was, and this is one we all have with this game. It feels like is when you realize that throws are the best thing in the game. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, you you play a few games and you're like, man. I can throw this guy medium. That's amazing, right? Like <laughs> I, I could maybe do damage, but I don't need to. And what I'm going to do is cost him an activation. It's effectively a stagger, right? And and when you when you learn about that, uh, that, that was the other, like, to your point, right? You don't have to throw dice. There's other ways to do this. Um, and throws can be great damage, but it's just such powerful control. Right. I think we all started off with like, oh, I'm going to pick up terrain and huck it at this character. And now if my character can throw characters, I will almost always throw the characters as far away as possible. And I don't care if they take damage unless I'm literally, oh, you're at one. I'm going to throw you and kill you. Um, but there's so this new card comes out for Hydra. I think this one was World. No, um, uh, Inevitable Betrayal. Right. Uh-huh. So the card costs eight and then you make an enemy character count as an allied character for scoring. And, and so in, in an average situation, what this is going to do is a one to two VP swing where maybe, so if you imagine like Viper is injured and she's standing next to a healthy character and she's got a bunch of power and she spends the eight power, plays the card. And you're like, now this character counts as my character. So instead of you getting a VP, I'm getting a VP. So it's a two VP swing. Mm -hmm. And that in itself seems like a solid use of a card. And maybe there are situations where you get more out of it, but then you think about throws, right? And you're just like a throw does that most of the time, but more you're like, not only do you potentially have a one V one to two VP swing because you throw their character off the point, but they also have to spend an action or power or something to get back to even where they were. They're not even starting neutral. No, and no. Like, yeah. In retrospect, I think throws are undercosted almost across the board. And it's fun because throwing stuff is fun, 
But man, character throws, when you look at like, should Hulk be able to throw anyone, basically? I mean, you can't throw <laughs> Sentinels and Dormammu. But man, just having a game where like Hulk walks to the middle, throws someone off, and then still has a power to interact, you're just like, oh my god. How, like, there's just so much power in that. And it's like, that costs two? Yeah, that's like one of the best things in the game. Well, and then you get from there then into like understanding the value of action economy, right? Because it's the inverse of the throw is having a charge or a yep. place. Um, and and then you just realize how powerful those are abilities are. And, and, you know, when we played War Machine, everybody could walk, charge, run, right? Like it was yeah. the same. Um, you weren't placing models as much. So you didn't have this additional dynamic step of being able to slide small or place two. Um, it's a new facet of a game. Now we did have leaders, right? Like Haley two and Kruger two, who could like teleport characters forward or teleport characters, enemies out of position um, with telekinesis. And so we had a little bit of that, but now you're like, you're factoring that kind of stuff in with like every character. Yeah. And you did have throws. It just, it was less common. Whereas this game, it's, it's a mainstay, right? Like it's, it's one of the most important things they're going to do in any given game. Yeah. And it's something where I, when I go back to playing X-Men more, I want to give um, magic a legitimate run just because I'm really in a state where I just value action economy so highly that I want to like, because she does have the ability to extend her movement and potentially like teleport herself, move, move, or teleport herself, attack, attack. You know, it's something I want to experiment with and see if that action economy is worth enough. Um, but yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Just realizing the action economy and there's a, like, Modoc was a super powerful character for the longest time. But that was all about Red Skull moving him around to give him that action economy. Mm. And, and so, and I think the same thing kind of applies to say like Scarlet Witch, who is, looks perfectly solid on paper, but not really having the action economy is I think kind of pushes her out of, um, common competitive play. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it just, it helps any character so much. Yeah. When um, I, like any, any, even like the Midnight Suns leadership, man, storm leadership is ridiculous. Um, like I was just thinking about Crimson Dynamo and his ability. It hadn't occurred to me at first that he could like walk towards a center secure, do his electrical blast to guarantee one power and then teleport himself onto the secure. It's, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, that leadership too. It's just, I don't have enough experience with it. <laughs> you no, know, for sure. I was just, I recently, decided to pick up the winter guard characters and have three of them painted. And so they're literally right in front of me. So that popped into my head. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, so you were talking a little bit about game length in one of our discussions. Do you want to kind of go into your, your thoughts on that? Yeah. So you kind of work through all these mechanics and you're learning how the game's played and you're learning attrition and throwing characters and all this stuff. And, and in my head, I had built a little bit more of an attrition focused Avengers list I was doing like Steve and Loki, um, Luke Cage and stuff like that. So I had some amount of throws, displacements. I had tricks. I had defense. I had bodyguards and I was okay playing on center secures and I'd get out there and I'd be attrition, attrition, attrition. And then the game would end and I would be like, 
Well, what happened? <laughs> I was winning. Well, I was winning on attrition. <laughs> I wasn't winning in anything that mattered. Um, and so, you know, cause like maybe the first few games I played went to like turn five. Right. And so in my head, I had this like games go to turn five. Some games end on turn three. A lot of games end on turn four. Yeah. And so Very common. I, I would say turn four is the most common round for the games to end on. Yeah. And, and, I guess because I was playing a little bit of a control, a little bit of an attrition team, I was pushing games to five, but, but sometimes you're at 11, right? And your opponent starts the turn and they identify, if I get five points this round, I win, right? And so I'm playing for attrition on turn four. My opponent is playing to get five points because 11 out of 16 for me is like, okay, well, they're close, but they're not that close. Well, if you really focus on it, you're exactly as close as you need to be and you're going to win the, win the game. And so that, was a realization where I thought I was moving my pieces properly and I thought I was threat assessing properly and I was displacing, but I I wasn't playing for scenario. Um, And and I would get caught off guard when, when games would end on turn three or four and I was thinking one more turn. Yeah. And I think this is something I go over a lot when I'm teaching players and we're just like having games at the shop and whatnot, and we're getting to that fourth or fifth round and I'm winning the game, and then they start making a play that doesn't actually help them win. And mm-hmm. so I usually try to kind of pause at that point and go, okay, this character over here is holding these two extracts. It doesn't matter how likely or unlikely it is for you to kill them or get them off of me. If this character gets to activate and run away, I win. You, you, it doesn't matter like whether this other play is more likely to succeed. If you let this character get away, the game is over. So nothing else matters. And so, and sometimes the people go, they get the spike and like, okay, we're going to have another round now. Like now it's going to be closer, but you have to like play to that out. Um, in other things, it's like play towards your win conditions. And, and I think sometimes, especially when it's early in a round, you haven't really, you're not thinking about what the end of that round is going to be like. And yep. you have to stop and go, okay, my opponent needs X amount to win. And if they need two to win and there's one character holding two extracts, you cannot let that, like, let that character activate and run away. Unless you obviously have, like, you know, Black Bifrost or something and you're like, I can chase them down. It's fine. <laughs> Um, Yeah, and all this in War Machine just played out very differently, right? You could tow into a zone or go stand next to a flag, and you could do that at some point during your round. Yeah. Um, But you didn't have to base your whole turn off of it because you just needed a model in a zone, you know, get a solo next to something, and you're good. And so the, the importance of the scenario here is so much more significant than War Machine ever was. Um. You really yep, got to get sure. used to it. Um, yeah, they definitely like tone because I came back and I played War Machine for maybe about a year. Um, I remember seeing you at a, at LVO and you had your your sweet forty k army, uh-huh. um, and I was like, I miss you, Ryan. Um, <laughs> but they they definitely toned up the scenario play a bit at that point, and it was a bit more aggressive. Um, but. It's it can be next level in MZP and it's really like the first priority. And and I think that kind of leads us into the next thing is while you're playing for scenario, you have to factor in that dice exist. And yeah. <laughs> dice are a thing. Um 
I have broken my brain over dice in this game. Like just devastated. I, I can't look, I'm a logical guy. I'm in finance. I sit in spreadsheets all day. I've played plenty of miniature games. I've played plenty of card games. I've been pretty good at anything I've ever picked up. And, and, you know, there's logic and intuition and all that stuff. And it, it just doesn't work here. It just doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it hurts so bad <laughs> it's when the lot. dice are crazy. It's a lot of adapting on the fly. And I think one of the things that is hard for people to accept is if you were thinking about the average of what dice can do, you got to realize that it's going to be below that or above that more often than it's actually the average. And like my last game, I swear every single attack roll I made was either all the way on or all the way off. I felt like my attacks were one-shotting. It was like Thanos would come forward. You'd just be like, one-shot Red Guardian. And then my next attack, like, I nothing. Like, I'm like, I had one hit in all six dice, and you rolled two blocks. So we're good. <laughs> like, yeah, don't even bother and, rolling in those crits. I'm doing nothing. That, I didn't get the wild. Nothing is happening. It feels devastating. But then when you get back to it, you're like, well, that's a one in eight chance, right? And, like, <laughs> what happens, right? It, it yeah. happens. Um, I uh, – <laughs> so I had a series of just terrible dice games, which culminated in a deadly duo from Rocket. And I was standing still. So I had two activations and three shots and Sam Wilson was at one Hulk was at three. Um, Ghost spider uh, Gwen was at one. So three hit points, one hit point, one hit point. I got a deadly duo and two spenders coming. I did zero damage out of the whole thing. Zero. And, and what I did was I took my 20 dice and I left them on the table and I packed up my models and I went home <laughs> and I bought new dice. <laughs> we all, like, I forget who I was talking about this with, but we all have our different dice karma where I, I see some people do like the dice punishment and the move on from dice. I feel like I have to ride my dice out, right? Like if I, I can't end on lows with dice because then I don't get to experience their highs. And for me, it's like, I have to be there and be loyal to the dice and they're going to show me the lows and they're going to show me the highs. And if I bounce around, then I could just get lows all the time. And uh... no, I was happy to throw those dice away. They deserved, <laughs> they deserved every bit of it. They just, they just got to sit there alone on that table. And now somebody is going to pick them up and love them um, yeah. all the same. So, so they'll have a second life as uh, you know, another, another newbie comes into the game, but um, I have new dice and I played a game on Sunday and rocket, moved and put a spender into Bucky and I rolled his seven dice and I got nine successes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, it's the first time I've ever done anything like that. It felt amazing. I apologized immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Bucky deserved it. So it was fine. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, I had a game against uh, uh, Alexa a couple weeks ago and I'm like, all right, Thanos is going into lizard and my second attack ended up dealing one damage, leaving him on one, and I did not get the wild to throw him into something. And so I left Lizard on one, who then activated and dazed two characters <laughs> and totally swung the game around. And 
that's just and it's like it just wasn't even like that crazy of odds it's like lizard has four physical defense he has invulnerability i was rolling i think it was thanos with maybe he had a hammer so he was rolling like seven dice but still like it's not that weird to you know only sneak one damage through yeah at a game at uh adepticon where corvus had like five successes with pierce but voodoo rolled six blocks on four dice oh god and I'm like, I don't even get the power to interact. And that's that's hard, too. Uh, you know, you I, you look at your dice roll and you're like, this is amazing. You're so excited. And you look over and they've got all these blocks. And it's just like, darn it. I finally hit my spike and they hit theirs at the same time. But it, it's always it, a weird feeling, though, when you have like the super mega block, you roll three dice and it's two crits in a wild and the two crits roll into two blocks. And you look over at the attack roll I'm like you didn't have any successes. I just <laughs> wasted my really good block. God damn it. Right, right, right. And that's that's the other part of MCP dice. Like you yeah. don't heal from that. So <laughs> you can't just look at statistical averages. Um, it, it's just different. I I, um, I use the Cerebro dice tool a lot. Um just to try to understand the odds. I mean, really what I'm trying to do is teach my brain, like some of the intuition around this, you know, there's repetition of actually rolling the dice and then there's trying to understand the math a little bit better. And and with that, I want to develop an intuition around the dice and I want to be okay when I roll eight dice on a Groot Spender and I do zero damage, but I get to stagger and throw them. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Sometimes the side effects can be better and, it's important to like, sometimes if you're getting stressed about dice to maybe start writing down, like how many of your rolls spike and how many spike low and do some sort of like mathematical tracking. So you can see it's really easy to like get focused on a key role that loses you the game and not realize that you had plenty of great blocks that kept you in the game or, you know, throughout. I actually, I did that once I printed out a sheet. I made up a sheet and it was attack dice, defense dice, which position I was in, and then net damage. And then I had a comment section. So like um, if Thanos was on reality or the opponent had cover or I had cover or I was incinerated or something like that. Right. So, and I, I recorded every dice roll for one game. Well, not every dice roll, but I recorded the, you know, I got five blocks or three blocks versus five hits and, and all that stuff. Um I've I've discussed it with um, Jacob from Danger Room quite a few times, but I have this suspicion. It's not tracked well enough to know for sure, but I have a suspicion that a majority of games are won by the player who ends up being able to spend more power. That makes sense. Right. It was kind of an evolution of like, who, you know, who has better power economics, but it's not just as like, say for example juggernaut for instance his power is fine but putting a bunch of damage into juggernaut doesn't have a lot of negative consequences for you and same with like mystique or black widow there's a bunch of characters that if you do a bunch of damage into the consequences are relatively minor but then there's characters like rogue hulk like characters that anytime you put damage into them and start powering them up you set them up for crazy things like thanos is the same way um and so there are obviously characters whose power is more beneficial. So it probably messes with the math. But for the most part, people like playing characters that do cool stuff and get cool things out of their power. Um, but I don't think players spend enough time thinking about how valuable is the power that you are giving to your opponent. 
Right. Yeah. And that goes, yeah, that goes into that, the, the power balance and power economy on both sides. And you're right. I mean, you make a really good point. I mean, Iron Man is a, you know, a core game character that sees a lot of play and he's going to spend two power really effectively on Friday AI. But, you know, if he, if he has 10, well, you, I guess you got to watch out for a Helios in that case, but otherwise he doesn't have a whole lot else to do. Um, it's kind of the same thing for X-23. She's an amazing character, but the first couple of power that she gets, like being able to like spend her and move on to a point or just having two power to use her frenzy is cool. But she's a character. If, if, if she's a 10 power, there's not a whole lot she can do with it. Like, yeah, it's not Valkyrie, right? It's not the 10 power X-23 is not really significantly better than two power X-23. Mm. And and that's something that I don't think people think about enough. Um, but that's all all part of the journey. Now, I know in our conversation, you had also talked a little bit about um, knowing measurements and such has been kind of an interesting point in your journey. Do you want to elaborate on that? So that was kind of the next step. I I played against, I was playing a buddy and I was playing Guardians um, with Ghost Rider because I was trying to test him in Amalekith. And we played on Gamma. And he ended up on my gamma turn one and then turn two, he ended up midnight phantasmagoria and healed for four and just pushed all my pieces off. And that was the, I mean, I had thought about it before, but that was really the motivation where I was like, I need to go pre-measure a bunch of stuff. I need to know what his threat range is. How far can he, how far can I actually put a model up on turn one and not get charged? And the answer is really, you can't, right? Like he can reach, what is he? He reaches like midway through your gamma point. Um, and then like with his attack. So yes. he, yeah. if so he you, walks and then charges, I'm pretty sure he attacks anyone standing on the back of gamma. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so you can't contest gamma on your own side without him getting to you. Okay. That's good to know. Right. Um, so somebody's going to get charged is the point. Um, and then I was kind of looking at like, I'd been playing Thanos a little bit. Right. So it was like, okay, if I, um, if I move me, if I move you and then I punch, what's the threat range there? Uh, and I think it's a five plus a small, um, and then trying to pay closer attention to, you know, how, how long is a long move? How long is a medium move? What are the base sizes? And just try to understand some of the measurements so that I can get threat ranges down in my head. Because in War Machine, it was 10 inches, 12 inches, 14 inches, right? Those were threat ranges. And it was just easy to know that. And in this game, because you have move medium range three, well, what does that mean? Um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing right now is I need to like write myself a cheat sheet um, of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I think there's, there's certainly times where just kind of like get a feel for what's a medium move plus the character's base size, plus their range to attack like that sort of thing. So the things that you can't actually measure is like, get some of those things visually in your head of like, what's that range. Um, I talked about this with Lucas a bit, but I literally have like a three and a half, foot table in my bedroom that usually has a mat on it. And when I'm like, hmm, I want to think about this, I will literally just grab multiple characters and multiple templates and then put it all there so we can see, oh, okay, this is this is how far with one move, the plus the base size, plus the reach, like how far do they get? Um and kind of like 
help visualize and know what's possible and thinking about where you have to position on a D map with each characters to, they have the option of moving to a different spot on the D. Um, all those things can be very important where like subtly having the character out of position. And like, I'd say one of the most simple ones is if your character, say you're like voodoo, right. And you're using your range three attack and you're trying to build up enough power to get them to drop the extract and they drop it at range two. If you put yourself at maximum range three from the character, you're not going to be able to pick up the extract when they drop it. You need to be a little bit shorter. It's actually about the distance of the medium movement template. Mm. So you can check and go, okay, like use the medium movement template and go, if I'm within that of the person, then I'm going to be able to pick it up. But if you do maximum range three and just having some of those little things in your mind, because that could be like, that can be very game changing. We're like, all right, that could be the game. Yeah. Yeah. I dazed this character and like they dropped the extract, but now I'm not in range to pick it up. Shit. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of like my next, like I said, my next thing is I want to, I need to, I need to spend more time figuring all that stuff out um, so I can develop a better intuition around that, you know, and obviously all this stuff comes in stages and steps. You can't cram all this information into your brain immediately. You know, you got to play games, you got to have realizations, you got to reinforce stuff, you got to test things. Um, It takes time and and that's okay. Yeah, I definitely like creating goals for myself. Like after I played a game and like I lost a game with Thanos and I realized I missed multiple opportunities to death decree or I death decreed and forgot they were injured. So I didn't give them four dice. I gave them two dice. And so I'm like, okay, my next game with Thanos, I want to think about death decree more often and make sure I'm using it when I want to use it and getting the right dice and thinking about all of those things and kind of like, get that stuff into my play patterns and like help me improve that aspect of my game. And so I think when you, when you end a game and you're like, okay, here is, here's what I did wrong. I wasn't in range to pick up this extract or I didn't do power economy that well for it. And I didn't have the power to pick it up or whatever it was, pick that thing and go, okay, next game, I'm going to focus really focus in on that aspect of my play and try to improve it and try to help cement it into my play pattern. So it's a, just a regular thing. And I think MCP is just a huge list of those things. And sometimes it changes which, which characters you're playing and you just like got to cement all of them into your play patterns eventually. And it just takes time. Well, and it's also, I mean, keep in mind if, if you're going to your local game store on a Tuesday night and you're playing somebody that's, that's new to the game, right. You can bring suboptimal characters and you can practice the very things that we're talking about right now, right? Because a small base medium move character is a small base medium move character. And if that's Sin or that's Luke Cage, you can practice that. So you can help with somebody's gameplay, help them along, and you can still be practicing and honing your greater skill set at the same time. And I think it's important to, to realize that there are always things to learn from these games that you're playing, even if it's not, you hear everybody with the, you know, steel, sharp and steel. And you're right. You need that. You need high level games against other high level players to really, really get there. But you can do a lot of education just in casual games, even, um, and still be a, you know, kind of a good opponent to somebody. Well, that's and you'll, you'll get surprised when you try some other characters, like, 
I still love Ronan and I will probably go to my grave defending Ronan. But, you know, if say you have these characters that other people have been encouraging you to try and then you have that more casual game, don't play the characters that you're just totally used to. Throw some of the other ones on the board. Like we did a new player event. I'm like, I have been itching to try Omega Red. Now, mind you, Omega Red did like one damage that entire game and utterly (laughs) failed me in every possible way. And even at a point where if he had just taken one more point of damage, I would have won. He just literally dropped the ball every step of the way. Whatever I needed him to do, he did one off of it. He couldn't do it. Yeah, he just couldn't do it for me. But it was a character that I just wanted to put on the table and see how he worked. And and I think that's that's okay. And you're going to find gems in there that are different than what like other people are suggesting to you. Because each even podcaster or player or content creator of any kind is going to have favorite play styles and favorite strategies and that sort of thing. And there may be very, very good characters that don't fit into their style or don't fit in because maybe they have a, you know, say Black Panther has been one of my favorite characters forever. And so to a certain extent, my love of that character has pushed me out of playing other fours in a great deal of situations where sometimes Mm -hmm. I literally just force myself to try other fours and it's okay to use those use those games to like try other things and just see how a different character works for you and you might find something that ends up affecting your actual competitive roster because you're like wow i actually this character i really liked what he did in the situation and you're like ooh, there's some other synergies i want to try with this um I will say Hulkbuster is one of my favorite, like, fun pieces. The model is beautiful. Um, I enjoyed painting him. And I think the skill ceiling on Hulkbuster is very, very high. Um, He's such a dynamic model. And so he's one that I just want to play a lot. And and he's not... He's not Hulk, right? He's not Thanos. He's not Malekith, right? So he's not one of the the bigger i mean he's bigger but he's not scary <laughs> he's not um, uh, he's not considered one of the best characters in the game he does see yeah. some competitive play but it's actually pretty uncommon he's stressful so, to play i like, dude when people spike into my hulkbuster it's like the scariest feeling well and that's why i feel like his ceiling is so high because he that base size the medium move the hit and run and the auto push right like you put all that together and he's and got a I spender like, that doesn't give power generation that can also throw characters. That can throw a size four. Hit so and run. If, like, if your brain is big enough, I feel like he should never get in combat, right? Like it's one of those <laughs> things. So there is a perfect game out there <laughs> that is to be chased with Hulkbuster. And, and and even, you know, if I just want to put him on the table, like that's my entire game, right? Like nobody else that I'm putting down matters. If I can just want to have fun with that, Right. I can isolate on that character. It's dynamic, dynamic um, toolkit and 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 do as well as I can with it. And you're still playing in a casual game and, you know, depends on what else you bring, but you have fun with it. Yeah, I, I did get to play a game where I was playing Avengers and I had both Hulkbuster and Hulk. And it was 20 threat and I just had Hulk on one D and hulkbuster on the other d and it was just like so much displacement like when they can't gang up on hulkbuster and you're moving people off the points like he can feel really good um he's another one of the characters like if they ever expand the rosters i feel like hulkbuster is going to make a lot more 
Um, he's hard to be as your only six, but there are plenty mm-hmm. of situations where he's very, very good. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing I, I do want to mention, right, is is as 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 I've noted, you're you're learning the game, you're practicing, you're getting better, depending on the skill set of the player you're playing into, or even the status of the game. Right. We're coming up on November. A lot of people have expectations that things are going to change in November. Right. Who knows? But or Malekith is a terror. Right. Whatever. Yeah. You can still work on all this stuff. These these skills, these 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 items that we're talking about are not meta specific. This is game mechanics. And so you can always learn this stuff, even in changing meta, um, and, and get these core principles down and 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 cement them more. And then when you do need that meta roster and you're gonna learn a list to its nth degree, you have a, fa- a better foundation to build on. One hundred percent. And I mean, it kind of comes back. I know some people don't love the meta that we're in right now, and it's okay to step back and just go, I'm going to practice some other characters, see if there's gems, like look for other things. Like, don't feel like you have to play Avengers right now. And if you haven't found something that hits the competitive itch and um, works for you, you know, it's okay to just you can still refine your game by practicing some other things, seeing if there's hidden characters that might be good in an upcoming meta, try out other things like just painted my winter guard. I'm not super excited about them competitively, but I would like to see some of their play patterns. And I have some ideas for each of the characters individually. So I might just throw all of them into a list. Like I've been trying to help uh, my buddy, Matt, um, Goris used to do Trollbred Scrum. He's really likes mm-hmm. Magneto, and I've been theorizing that I think maybe Darkstar might actually be a really good splash to help move Magneto around um, and can really benefit from his power generation in a big way. But hadn't picked her I up was, until a day I ago. I was playing Dormammu as another funless character, um, just because he's like such a presence on the table as far as like a pretty model is concerned. Yes. Um, and he is a presence on the table as well. And Darkstar was one of those characters. Cause I kind of looked at, I looked at Dormammu and I thought, even from a, even from a more of a for fun perspective, I thought, well, I haven't really heard about Dormammu since I've started playing this game. Right. So six months, except for he's bad. <laughs> and I know that Dormammu was kind of a thing back in the day, right? Like people played dark webs. Is, is that what it was? Yeah, it, it, the the main thing was is Dormammu had a competitive roster that existed for like three weeks. Okay. By the time people found it, so many of the cards and things changed uh, shortly after it. So by the time like this roster was discovered by Sploosh and um, Mike, it it got very close. It got into the top four and then lost in a really close game to Morgan, who ended up winning overall. Um and even at the point when he was practicing for it, he's like, I got practicing against this list. I got dunked on like four or five games in a row. <laughs> um, but by the, it's one of those things is the meta for MCP does shift kind of quickly. And so by the time, if you're not on the ball of like searching and finding different things and having practice with all sorts of different characters, by the time you find something, the meta might already be shifting away from that being good, you know? Well, and, and it's just another point where you, you you always need to be on the lookout and keep testing. So for Dormammu, like a lot of new characters have come out since then. A lot of characters that he should like, right? Like how good is Heimdall with them, right? Heimdall is very power hungry, but you get an extra power of return and, and he can move Dormammu. 
How about Darkstar? She's very power hungry. She can move Dormammu. How about Nick Fury's commandos, right? Uh, again, a model that can move Dormammu. So we now have three, three threats that can all place him, help his, help his action economy a ton. They're all solid models in their own right. Um, and, and I, 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 you know, it's one of those things where I look up and I wonder, is there a, probably a B tier list here, right? That nobody's talked about. Yeah. It's not going to win an event, but you could, you could have a lot of fun and be competitive with it. Probably. And you probably catch somebody off guard. Well, and is there a roster where just, oh, I'm already running all of these characters. I can put Dormammu in for these key situations where my roster isn't good at uh, demons or something. And you're like, but I have all the characters that Dormammu needs. Maybe that's something that you practice and then see if that works for your roster. Or who knows? Maybe um, Pyro comes out and Pyro is a perfect three threat for Dormammu and suddenly everything gets turned on. Yeah. And, you know, and so sometimes it's just worth exploring stuff because if all of a sudden something releases that makes Dormammu really good, but you have no practice with Dormammu as a roster at all, are you going to be able to get up to speed quick enough for the event? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's there's a lot of fun to have out here. Yeah, fun stuff to explore. So before we get to the bonus episode, so listeners, um, Ryan and I in the bonus episode are going to start getting into a little bit more hypothetical stuff and kind of like what's next for us, what's next on his journey. Um, But before we get to that, I have one more question for you, Ryan. And do you have anything you want to say to other people that are either like just coming into the game or maybe maybe we've got that War Machine listener that just, you know, loves you and I and decides to listen to this episode? Um, What do you want to say about either getting into MCP or continuing the journey? Any any final words of encouragement? You you normally ask about shout outs. And so I was kind of thinking about that uh, coming in. You can shout out too. like I'm totally good with that. My shout out was really um, to the to the community, um, to you, to Tyson, um, to Norbert. It, it, we have a pretty spectacular group here, right? And and I say this from the perspective of I, I I got to luckily stand at the top of the mountain with War Machine, right? And I got to watch the community, I got to watch the competitive scene, I got to watch the casual games, I got to watch the tournament circuits, I got to watch people travel. And I look at MCP and, and we have all of those ingredients. Um, and it, and it, it, it really excites me, not for the micro, but for the macro of this game. And, and then the other thing I want to say, part of the reason I wanted to shout out the community is, um, War Machine was a different game than a Games Workshop game. Um, people that played War Machine played differently. Um, we all wanted to win. We all wanted to win fair, right? We were all, most of us, sort of pursuing that perfect game that was more isolated to ourselves. And winning was important, but it wasn't the be-all, end-all, right? People were always friendly and kind, and, and you just never heard bad stories. And and I think that's a very special thing that War Machine had. And I'm not trying to throw shade at 40K or anything. I just, anyway, War Machine was special. And I feel that, with mcp so far with everybody that i've met um and and i think that's a very very cool place to be and so you know kudos to the guys that are leading the meta that are putting out content 
you know, everybody's doing a great job. It's a very inviting community. I'm on several discords. Like it's, it's great. So, so get out there and play games in person, go to a convention, have some fun. Um, It's, it's a great spot. 100%. And I, I want to specifically hone in on if you are someone who has never done a convention for a miniatures game, if you have questions and need guidance absolutely feel free to reach out to me. It is such a special experience. And if it wasn't for um, JVM and Chuck Ellswick were the guys who basically made my first travel con possible and welcomed me into the community and showed me the ropes and made me feel comfortable doing that kind of travel. I, so I feel like I owe it to other people to kind of follow in that, uh, that step and make other people feel welcome and come out and do this stuff. It was it's a truly wonderful experience. There's a reason why I like Adepticon. Every time I went out for a beer, I was grabbing different people just to like interact and like feel the community. And, um, but anyway, you have questions. If you haven't made the journey, like, let me know, like, or ask Dizzard, like shout like Dizzard just had his first convention. He could probably even explain it better than I could. Cause he just got to experience it. So it is absolutely worth it. And I think that's probably mirrors your feelings, Ryan. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you are the more experienced player, if you've been to a handful of conventions, right? I always enjoy the the small table talk when you sit down, you know, hey, where are you from? How long you've been playing? Who are you here with? Right. And then when you find the guy that says, ah, yeah, you know, I, I flew in from Minneapolis and I, I came by myself. You know, if you've got friends at the con and you're going to dinner, you know, give the guy an invite real fast and uh, and just, you know, be helpful. Yeah. Make them make them feel welcome. All right. Well, I think this is a good spot to wrap up the episode. Ryan, thank you so much for recording with me. And I, this is like half of this is just an excuse because I like talking to you. <laughs> well, you've been too kind for this episode. I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's absolutely been a lot of fun. You should see some of the stuff I wrote in my head potentially as ways to start this episode. I'm like, ah, man, I think I might hurt Ryan's face if I say all of this stuff. <laughs> like, let me let me tone it down a little bit. So you actually got the toned down version of how much I wanted to gush about you. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so listeners, um, if you want some more Omnis Protocol content, again, I have the bonus episode every week. It's just a buck an episode. If you're not in a place to do that, don't stress it. If you are, happy to have you. And uh, I'm going to just say the most OP thing that you can do is make the trip to conventions. Play the games, go out for drinks, experience all of it. It's truly something special. Later, nerds.